Ladies and gentlemen, if there is such a thing as a quintessential episode of Oscar, this just might be the one. We're talking about Tory shit, we're talking about black history, we're talking about awards, and we're also talking about some statistics. If I ain't Oscar, do not show, I don't know what it is. In the words of Public Enemies, Chuck D, bring the noise. On the Fifth Moon Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you all had a good week in the circumstances. I am excited for this episode. I don't, I, I know why, but it's just, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's rare that I get so much just, oh, really, really good shit in like a whole week. You know what I mean? Just, I found these literally a couple days after I recorded. I've just been waiting on it. Oh, waiting on it ever since. For the past week, I've just been. St- thumb twiddling just waiting to record this episode i can't wait to get into these reads it's gonna be so much fun absolutely so much fun um but yeah apart from that um week so far well week past it's been pretty decent can't complain um yeah man it's a it's it's a lot of um i don't know if i said this last week but um i feel like you know for me personally i'm just talking about me personally uh i feel like there is a everything's quiet you know what I mean there's, there's a quiet and I feel like there's a storm coming in some fashion I don't know what it is I don't, I don't know whether it's like career wise if it's life in general uh, personal professional I don't know what it is but I just feel like there's a storm coming in some fashion I just, I'm, I'm just waiting on it you know what I mean I'm obviously doing my things on the other on while I, while I wait you know what I mean but man I just, I just there's a there's a there's a sense of there's a sense of something for me there, uh, in it just in in the in the in the in the uh, uh, in the front view. Like I can't quite see it yet, but I, just, I don't know. I just feel something's coming. You know what I mean? But uh, we'll see how that we'll see how that goes. It may be nothing. <laughs> I may be waiting for the next twenty years. Who knows? <laughs> for that one thing, but I don't know what it is. But I'm waiting on it. It's it's coming. I feel it. Um, but yeah. Apart from that, um, you know, everything else going around, I mean, it's snowed, it's, it's snowed uh, where I'm at for the past uh, couple of days, and it's already thawing, uh, the sun came out today, so I'm happy about that, it's been a bit icy, obviously, but uh, apart from that, yeah, it's been, you know, snow's thawing a little bit, you know what I mean, in places, but it's, it's the ice is staying there, obviously, so it'll probably be a couple of days before it actually goes back to just, um, you know, general wetness, which is always fun to walk in see i'm not, i'm fine with snow right i'm fine with snow um I'm, i've come to terms with it right my thing is is if you if if the weather's going to be cold be below freezing you know what i mean i don't want it to be you know in that 5 to 7 range because in that 5 to 7 range the the ground doesn't know what to do with itself so when i'm walking the dog right i don't know whether the ground is like muddy as hell and just like it's just gonna sink my foot into some mud or you know it's just or it's just normal you you just don't know every step you take is just gonna be ugh I, i hate it i hate it so i'd rather be below freezing so i know that most of the time it will be the 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 muddy parts of everything will just be frozen over and just be rock hard, you know what I mean? I prefer that. I much prefer that. I'd rather be colder 
give me give me zero, give me minus one degrees or nothing at all. You know what I mean? Either give me minus one degrees or give me twenty five. <laughs> That's basically how I go about life. G- give me if you're gonna give me winter, give me winter. Don't give me this half ass winter of seven degrees and then it starts raining and then everything's muddy. Like don't give me that shit. I hate that shit. It's annoying. Give me full on crippling cold. Give me that. Just, just give me that. I'd rather have that. Just go all in. Go ham. Anyway. Trust me, British, talk about weather. <laughs> but yeah, we have a stack show, honestly. Uh, two Life, Two Film and TV, all super boss in their own way. Um, and fuck it, let's just jump right in. Four minutes before we begin, email to the IG, Discord link, all that, all, all that, all the links uh, that I'm about to read for this episode will be in the full show notes. Please give them a read for yourself. And with that said, let the beat drop. And let's get into the show. In a week where actor Christopher Plummer dies age 81, former heavyweight champion boxer Leon Spinks dies age 67, uh, Queen Elizabeth successfully lobbied the government to change a draft law in order to conceal her quote-unquote embarrassing private wealth from the public. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but I, and I would have easily talked about this during the show, but um, I, I just, you know, obviously something had to give, and this was the one. Um, it, it only came, like, recently, the past couple of days, but, um, you know, shouts to The Guardian, they've been doing some good investigative uh, reporting on this, and, uh, yeah, just go look that shit up. Uh, they have a podcast called Today in Focus, they did an episode on it today, as I record, Wednesday, um, go peep that as well, it's, it's just, oh, it's absolutely silly, like, you just, you, you, here, here I was thinking that the royal family was simply just a a, a, a poster child for UK tourism. I here, here I was, here I was, uh, thinking they were just here for pomp and circumstance. But fuck me, they still have some power apparently. Who knew? Who fucking knew? Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat Kansas City Chiefs in Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, you know, just a few more. Uh, <laughs> they ain't making it to 100. I'm still, I'm still on that. There's still, they're not gonna make it to Super Bowl 100. That's will be dead by then. Trust me on that. Uh, and lastly, a lot of deaths this week, but um, Mary Wilson, uh, founding mother, member of uh, the Supremes, dies age 76. Every time a member of like Motown dies, I just think about how fucking great Motown was. Like, I mean, it was a machine. Let's not get it twisted. Like, there's a, there was a lot of, um, uh, you know, industry play there. But, uh, man, man, did they put up some good shit. Jesus, like Motown, man. Absolutely. They have a whole genre of just, Motown is literally a genre by this point. It's, it's oh, absolutely amazing. Outstanding. All right. So let's talk about these awards. So it's award season, as uh, most of you know. And if you have been a regular listener of the show for the past uh, you know, couple of years, uh, you know I have been very invested in uh, award season. Uh, but in recent year, in the past like year, um, I've kind of worn, I've kind of cooled off on it. Um, I've kind of my my feelings to it have uh, grown a bit cold uh, in the past couple of years. And you know, it's it's always it's always been awards bullshit, right? It's always been awards bullshit. I think the first one for me uh, was like when uh, the artist won like best picture, and it was like what? It didn't make sense to me. It just didn't make sense to me. And you know, the argument I had to that was is pretty much the same argument you could give to something like a uh, a moonlight. So you know, 
I, I've kind of calmed down on that uh, particular stance because Moonlight is fucking amazing. Um, and you can also throw in something like Parasite as well. Um, but, you know, I've kind of just... I, I can't be asked with it anymore. I, I really can't be asked for any. I'm, I'm, I'm done with giving... Apart from, you know, this particular segment. I'm done with, like, giving... Uh, negative energy towards all of this, you know what I mean, and uh, uh, while I say that, I'm going to be completely hypocritical and just uh, give some negative energy on it, but I mean more critical energy, like, I'm not up here being hateration, going like, this show shouldn't have, shouldn't have gotten a uh, gotten a uh, nomination, uh, uh, too many white people, too many white people, you know, that's all fact, right, and there are going to be people that will happily talk about that till the cows come home, and I have, I have done that before, but I'm just over that now, I'm just completely over it, and I'm not really a person that, uh, while I value award season in some fashion, I'm just not gonna give my, a lot of time to it anymore, I just don't, care about what the Hollywood foreign press thinks about uh, does for their Golden Globes I don't care what they what they think a good TV show is you know what I mean I just don't that's that's kind of where I'm standing right now I don't care where Os- what Oscar voters think about uh, this film that I like you know what I mean I'm not gonna let it dim my love for something and the, there was this article that I saw and it went around um, it was written by Miss uh, Deborah Copakin Copakin uh, it's called, uh, I'm a writer on Emily in Paris, I May Destroy You Deserved a Golden Globe nomination, right, so this is kind of the conversation that, you know, been has been going around uh, this year, particularly, obviously, um, I May Destroy um, one of the best shows, if not the best show of last year, um, I can attest to that, while I subjectively um, found, found a lot of the uh, characters mad annoying just in general on the face the story itself is objectively just outstandingly written and just very creatively done and it's very tastefully done very tastefully done every episode has meaning and uh, you know it's just it's just it's just wonderful um but yes it didn't get a uh, it didn't get a nomination in the golden globes and it did get love you know stuff like a screen actors guild and stuff like that and uh, and yeah you know they got love some other places and that's fine great yippee but i'm not going to i'm not going to let my enjoyment uh, my objective enjoyment of i may destroy you be ruined by people on the golden globes i i couldn't give a fuck but let's let's just jump right into this cycle right quick um cuz it is an interesting uh, commentary on everything uh, so she goes. She starts off with uh, early Wednesday morning. I was trying to decide whether to do a yoga with Adrian uh, video, yoga with Adrian, Adrian video, or eat the leftover whipped cream. My mother called. Uh, <laughs> my mother called me to tell the news. Uh, tell me the news. Emily in Paris just got nominated for a Golden Globe. She said, "What for? Which character? Uh, which category?" I said, "I'm a writer on the show. I tried to avoid reading this criticism, but I didn't live under a rock. It never occurred to me that our show would be nominated." Uh, for best whatever, my, said my mum. <laughs> we haven't hugged since 2019. She gets her second vaccine shot in two weeks. Maybe the first one messed with her head. Uh, best comedy series, are you sure? I downed a spoonful of whipped cream. Yes, Deb, I'm sure. I'm watching it on TV right now. Huh, weird. I googled it twice just to be sure. Like Emily, I'm a former American expat who was based in Paris as a photojournalist from 1988. Uh, to 1992, as well as a former pharmaceutical brand marketer, I, a gig I took after being sexually harassed out of my journalism job by a man Trump just pardoned by a digress, while I was a single mother trying to put two kids through college. Emily's vaginal ring, uh, ring brand manifesto, 
cut and pasted from the one I wrote for my marketing job. Le vagine n'est pas masculine. I came up with that too. As for Emily's uh, many faux pas, let's just say that during my first month in Paris when I was a 22-year-old, uh, what's that say, ingenue? Ingenue? Yeah, I think that's the word. Uh, having dinner with my uh, photojournalism colleagues and one of them asked if I wanted more food, I answered, non, merci, je suis plein. Uh, plein? 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 I don't know, P-O-E-I-N-E, it's the E-I that's putting me off, plein, <laughs> uh, which is not me, no thanks, I'm full, but rather no thanks, I'm pregnant, great, brilliant, um, did I take the criticism of the show personally? Of course, Why? who wouldn't, but also not, Emily in Paris aired a few months ago, uh, aired a few months after I spent June and July uh, marching for racial, racial justice through the streets in New York with my kids, I could definitely, definitely see how a show about white Americans selling luxury whiteness in pre-pandemic Paris Scrub three of its vibrant African and Muslim ca- uh, communities might rankle. Um, our show, uh, excuse me, our show is a, uh, also aired soon after I read Cast by Isabel Wilkerson and gobbled down Michaela Cole's uh, "I May Destroy You," a work of sheer genius about the aftermath of a rape. "Quote unquote," that show I told everyone who listened deserves to win all the awards. When it didn't. I was stunned. I Miss Drew was not only one of my favorite, only my favorite show of 2020. It's my favorite show ever. It takes the complicated issue of rape. I'm a sexual assault survivor, assault survivor myself, and it infuses it with heart, humor, pathos, and a and a story constructed so well. I had to watch it twice just to understand how Cole did it. Now, am I excited that Emily in Paris was nominated? Yes, of course. I've never been remotely close to seeing a Golden Globe statue up close, let alone being nominated for one. But that excitement is now unfortunately tempered by my rage over Cole's snub. I May Destroy You did not get one Golden Globe nod. It is not only wrong, it's what is wrong with everything. Take my friend Deb Dugan, the first female president and CEO of the Recording Academy. Uh, she, She was brought in to deal with, among other things, graft, corruption, sexism, and the ongoing problem of hashtag Grammy So White. When Deb began to do that, when she she actually started trying to clean a uh, clean house at the recording academy and had to file her own sexual harassment complaint while do, while so doing, she was fired. Take every writer's room in Hollywood. The twenty seven report of color of change found report uh, found that ninety one of show ninety one percent of showrunners are white and eighty percent are male. Take the recent headlines: the woman who stormed the Capitol was given permission. <laughs> Excuse me. Runny nose. Um, to go on vacation, or blog nose anyway, uh, to go on vacation to Mexico while a nine-year-old black girl was pepper sprayed by police for the crime of asking for her father. You're acting like a child, the cops told her, to which she answered, I am a child. Tells you everything you need to know about systemic racism in America. But my fury is not just about race, or even about re- racial representation in art. Yes, we need art that reflects all of our colours, not just some. But we also need to give awards to shows and music and films and plays and musicals that deserve them, no matter the colour of the skin of the creators. Is Hamilton great because Lin Manuel Miranda is Puerto Rican? No, it's great because it bangs. <laughs> uh, surprise, American says bangs. Uh, by that same token, how anyone can watch I May Destroy You and not call it brilliant work of art or Michaela Cole a genius is beyond my capacity to understand how these decisions are made. Um, okay, so three things I want to note um, to this. So, firstly, um, I, I I do find it a little, just just a little bit disingenuous um, that you can, and and you know, I don't want to I don't want to be that guy, 
but I'm going to be that guy. I, I, you can't you can't talk to me about you can't talk to me about um you know all of these things you know things to you know racial justice and all that stuff you can you can reference all the stuff you like right but when your when your show is like the whitest shit ever um I don't know <laughs> I I I'm not sure I'm not sure about the uh uh, uh you know genuineness of that um but that's just me. You know what I mean? I don't know her as a person. I don't know her personally. So, you know, I'm going to I'm going to half I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm going to give the option to pull back on that front, right? You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm 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 saying it. I said it, but I'm not going to, you know, plant my flag on that front. But what I will plant my flag on is these two things. Firstly, and you know, I I I don't think uh, I, I'm I'm going to say this with no knowledge um, of how the Hollywood Foreign Press Association uh, makes their Golden Globe picks, okay? But I will make this um, with the knowledge that the Screen Actors Guild do uh, uh, certainly uh, do this because I've heard a Screen Actors Guild voter um, talk about it in this fashion. I've mentioned it before. Why would you assume that they have seen I May Destroy You? That's the question I ask. I find it interesting when it comes to these snubs, and this is why I've lost steam when when it comes to you know bitching and moaning about these things. You assume that they watched all of the all of the you know long listed or whatever listed stuff. You know what I mean? They 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 don't. I don't think they do. I personally don't think they do. I know Screen Actors Guild people don't. I know that for a fact. Um, they have the option not to watch, and they have the option not to watch it all. They don't. They don't. They don't. Some people don't put their time in. Come on, guys. Donald Trump was a, a, a SAG after a fucking member, right? He could have voted in the SAG awards, right? And obviously, the news recently is that he, he was kicked off it, and then he sent a letter saying, I quit, which is just the funniest and pettiest thing ever. Um, but yeah. You think Donald Trump would have watched uh, uh, Black Panther or Moonlight? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like no, no, that's not that's not how. No, no, it's just not happening, right? It's not it's not happening. So, to assume, and again, I have no knowledge of how the Hollywood Foreign Press Association votes uh, via, uh, for, votes for Golden Globes, but I am going to suspic- uh, have a have a suspicion that they don't watch everything that they are. Uh, given the category to. I can say the same for the Oscars, right? I can say the same for all of it, the BAFTAs, whatever. Pick a pick an award ceremony. I guarantee you they all do it in the same way. Maybe, maybe the reason why can works is because they have the jury and it's clear that they've seen all the works because they, you know, regularly comment on it as they give the awards out, right? They all give comment on it as how great it is, da 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 da, da right? So, you know, they've clearly watched all the nominated work i i feel i feel comfortable in saying this for some for a festival like can and for festivals in general i feel like um they give time to every single thing right because that's the point that is the point of the festival but when it comes to awards the rules are a bit different it's not like a pie eating contest where you know if you're gonna judge a pie eating contest you're gonna have to take a bite of each one right but no they don't it's it's cute that you guys think that they will watch and and you know Considering the content of what I May Destroy You is about, 
chiefly being uh, sexual assault, uh, sexual assault and rape, um, not just um, to a woman but to a dude as well in that show. Spoiler alert, right? You think you think Hollywood is gonna is gonna is gonna go for that? It's cute. It's 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 super cute. You think you guys think that's that's how it's gonna that's how it's gonna work for them? No, no. They they chose not to watch it. I guarantee you. I semi-guarantee you. I'm obviously not going to guarantee you because, again, I have no knowledge. But I semi-guarantee you that that's the reason, that's the main reason why. I I semi-guarantee you that they didn't watch any of it. They know what it is. Uh, They asked a few friends, like, oh, what's it about? Uh, uh, I don't know that, you know. Uh, uh, Hits too close to home. They won't say that, obviously, but, you know, you you see what I'm getting out on that front, right? And that's the crux of why I don't have energy for this anymore. Uh, if if it, they don't put energy, they 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 don't. These awards people don't put energy into the stuff we enjoy, and that become and that comes comes to the third thing that I, that I wanted to talk about in in conjunction to all of this. And my final point, I'll leave it on it. Why do you guys care so much? Honestly, be honest. Why do you care so much? And I'm asking you this as a person that did care as much as you do currently, right? I used to give a fuck about it all. Because when when a film wins an award, there is a monetary boost. There is a, uh, there is a uh, you know, just a cultural boost that it gets. You know, just all the clout, right? It, it just gains clout. Parasite won all the award since around this time last year. I think it was yesterday, or as I record today on Wednesday. Um, Parasite won all the awards they did in the Oscars, right? Not days later, days later, it was shown in my local Odeon. It was shown in my local Odeon for like three weeks, and me and my dad went to see it, and he enjoyed the fuck out of it, and I enjoyed the fuck out of it. I still have my ticket right next to me, actually. Right here. Yep. Screen 7, Parasite, 28th of uh, February 2020. That was the last film I saw in the cinema. That wouldn't have happened if Parasite didn't win all the awards it did. So there's a genuine push that awards gain. And it pisses me off that that has to happen. In order for a film as good as Parasite... To, to, to be shown in my local Odeon. It wasn't there before. Straight after the Oscars, la di is suddenly there. You know? And it, and that annoys me. And that's why some... That's why I know... That's, that's the reason why some people care. That's why I, in some way, still care. But I can't give energy to this anymore. Because they don't... Because the awards people don't put energy into it. I, I don't think. I don't think they care as much as the normal per as the, as the normal person. As the... um A little bit more than the normal person. But a little less than the film enthusiast such as myself. Or the person that actually wants to be in the, in film... In the film world such as myself. They reach a point... Excuse me. They reach a point. They get comfy. They become a voter. And they don't... They don't consume... They don't. They don't consume. I, I. I bet you most of the screenwriting people don't read all the scripts for original screenplay or watch the film. Or, or, or they, because in my mind, I feel like they should watch the film and read the script. I. I bet you they do one or 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 neither, and a very minute amount of them do both. 
I, I feel that I feel that kind of way. I just I have that cynicism. It's cynicism, but I think it's very um, uh, well estimated. But I just don't know why. Well, I do know why. I I don't think people should really care as much because if you like I May Destroy You, if you like a show such as that, fucking scream it to the rooftops instead. And don't worry, guys. The snubs will the snubs will you know put I May Destroy You in the map still, in some way. And you don't have to watch the Golden Globes because of it. I don't think you should. If you don't care, don't watch it. Don't give them air time. It's fine. Don't give them your time. Do not give them your time. If you feel like you your show has been hard done by, don't don't watch it. Just plain don't watch it. Let your eyes, let your attention, uh, and let what you watch do the talking. Simple as that. Give them your viewership. Just give them your viewership. Recommend it to your people. Tell your people to watch it. That's how that's how films like Fight Club are cultural landmarks. That's why The Wire is a cultural landmark. Wire didn't win shit. The Wire was lucky to go five seasons, but now it's a cultural landmark, and you 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 the TV landscape is much better for it, and it didn't win no awards. So you know it's up to you. It's simply up to you. If you love a show such as I May Destroy You and it didn't get any uh, uh, Golden Globe love, fuck it. Oh well. Move on. Don't give them the energy. Don't give them the energy. It's no point. It's it's just adding to the to the mill. The mill of just like, uh, uh here's the works of being snubbed. Uh, nah, 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 nah. It's like, cool, but it doesn't, it, in the, at the end of the day, quality shows always last. Quality shows last in the minds of the people that love it. And that's all that matters. That's all that should matter. But obviously it doesn't. And that's the unfortunate thing. So we move on to a uh, second, uh, well not second, second segment and first of two life uh, segments. Alright, so here's Black History Month in the US, as a, a lot of people know, <laughs> it's, hard to go, it's hard to miss. Um, but I found this, um, I found this interesting uh, piece on uh, a, a different, a different type of commentary uh, towards Black History Month. Um, so. Ready for Revolution, uh, via Hood Column, a communist, uh, wrote this uh, piece called Why We Say Fuck Black History Month. And I found this fascinating. So I thought it was worth a read because there is a lot of, there is a lot of um, friction, I feel like, uh, black people have towards the concept of Black History Month when, you know, you, you see all these companies uh, co-opts Black History Month, and it makes you it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. You know, you try and focus on the on the good stuff. You know, what I mean, the you know praise, you know, uh, black charities and stuff like that, and you know, black business and all that kind of stuff, you, and black culture. You, know, you try, you try so hard, but damn, some of the shit just. Just, just some people just focus on the wrong shit and it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth every single time Black History Month, whether it's in February for the US or October in the UK, it leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth. So I found this particular piece, which is very incendiary, um, as I and you'll get understand as I read, but I found it, while incendiary, 
Very interesting. So I thought I'd give you a read. So without further ado, let's just jump right in because this is great. Since its founding in 1920 as Negro History and Literature Week, Black History Month has served as an annual celebration of achievements by African Americans and a time for recognising their central role in US history. Many of us share fond and some unpleasant memories of the yearly church programs, school assemblies and essay contests all organised around that shared sense of identity and history of perseverance. But as critical and principled Africans know (laughs) uh, what's happening, the time has passed for us to engage with what uh, this month has come to represent. We can look as recently as the liberalising of Black Lives Matter to see an example of how black political agendas can be stolen and repurposed. In less than 10 years, we've gone from fighting white folks about about the meaning of the phrase to seeing it plastered across billboards and city streets. Black Lives Matter once fulfilled a specific purpose, but has outlived that purpose and threatens almost to squander the radical potential that is fighting to outlive it. What then can be said of the 101-year-old Black History Month, a month where we are set to be bombarded by calls for the assumption of red, black and green Apple Watches in the so-called United States, while children die in the Congo mining cobalt, a month where we are primed for colleagues and memes of our first black defence secretary superimposed on paintings next to Malcolm X and Marcus Garvey, all while AFRICOM continues to expand its grip in Africa. A month where Harriet Tubman is being celebrated as the new potential face of the $20 bill, while her descendants struggle with our access to the US dollar in the midst of a global pandemic. The great month that Carter G. Woodson established to raise the political consciousness of his people and instill a feeling of pride has been weaponized against us. The theme for this year's Black History Month celebration has been announced as Black Family, Representation, Identity and Diversity. As the black family continues to come under attack from every direction, lack of access to healthcare, predatory state and social services, police, lack of safe and fulfilling employment, and most of all, abysmal black maternal mortality rates, the Association for the Study of African American Life and History will honour black life this year by centering quote-unquote representation, identity and diversity, all words we have come to understand don't amount to shit. In this statement, members of the Hood Communist Collective will outline what we have identified as four key ways in which Black History Month have been commandeered to work in the interest of the ruling class and paralyze the potential for radical movement building today. We then offer solutions to overcoming these barriers and propose a different framework, African Liberation Month. See, I told you it's a bit incendiary. We're just getting started. Um, Alright, first subheading. uh, The Disappearance of Radical African Organizations. Um, okay. Knowing one's past opens uh, doors to one's future. Our past knowledge funneled to us through colonised education is riddled with half-truths. What does that mean for our futures? Black History Month's hyper-focus on remembering our past through the lens of charismatic leaders in the, is intentional and should not be taken lightly. There exists a disconnect between black radical history and the mainstream narratives of black history that projects progress by collapsing gains made through organised struggle as the feat of just quote-unquote one one man. The the illusion that nothing has uh, historically been won through organised struggle but instead the hopes and dreams of one person is dangerous propaganda. During Black History Month, colonised schools uphold individuals apart from organisations. The people whose collective organising was the backbone of a struggle 
towards liberation become background characters, if mentioned at all, to the exalting and exploitation of one man who then becomes a tool to assist in stitching legacies of resistance into the folds of the American dream. For example, we know of the non-violent message of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., but nothing about the Deacons for Defense and Justice, the organized collective of U.S. military veterans who protected King uh, and other others during marches and actions. These convenient retellings of our histories not only promotes individualism, but passivism too, which works in step with the rejection of organizations we are seeing now, we see happening now, sorry. Why should we organize people when we only need charis- a charismatic leader? That is the message that Black History Month give, gives um, uh, us, among other fallacies. A first black solution uh, to liberation entangled with the hierarchy and prominence of black male leadership does not exist in a vacuum. As we see now, this constricting and revisionist telling of black history, uh, black histories invites futures where signs of progress are only disguised regress. There has never been a moment in black history where there have not been where there have not been many people organized to do many things on the ground to seek the liberation of African people. The ahistorical retelling of our history allows for isolating individuals away from the pulse of the movement and the people as a forced assimilation of their politics into American patriotism. This advances a pathology of forgiveness and hope. The manipulation of black excellence by normalizing this uh, settler colonial nation has served as a breeding ground for manufacturing consent and how we understand black liberation. Black History Month has remained a constant assistant in that effort. We cannot afford to continue uh, to allow prioritization of individualism over the collective. Organizations and organized struggle create change, not individual actors. Next subheading is the exclusion of Africa and the diaspora. Mm-hmm, this one's going to be tasty. Some people will respond to this section by screaming that the concept of Black History Month was designed to bring light to the specific experience of Africans in the US. We believe that this is a micro-nationalist perspective of African, uh, of African people is symptomatic of the shortcomings evident within the so-called annual February commemoration. <coughs> We reject the we reject the reduction of our experiences just to just to just those of us within the U.S. and we especially dismiss re- uh, references to African people anywhere that don't start by placing Africa in the center where she belongs. The reality for Africans everywhere within the Western Hemisphere, from Canada down to Chile, uh, is that our existence in these colonial states is the direct result of nothing beyond how the vicious and vi- violent slave raiders kidnapped us from Africa. Literally, if your great-grandparents left and uh, ran left and the British captured them, this means that you are in the US, Canada, Jamaica, Belize, etc. Speaking English today. If your ancestors ran straight and the Spanish captured them, this explains why you are in the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Cuba, or Mexico speaking Spanish today. If your ancestors ran right and were captured by the French, this explains why you are in Haiti or Canada speaking French today. This is scientifically irrefutable, and despite whatever imagery connection to the microstate that is cooked up by those who wish to deny Africa, the truth is objectively the truth. We will never be Americans, Canadians, Brazilians, etc., as Malcolm X told us 50 plus years ago, quote, if a cat has kittens in an oven, you don't call the babies biscuits, unquote. Mm. 
interesting. Africa and the rest of the African world is deleted from every context of life within the US in a concerted effort by the capitalist system to convince Africans within the US that we have US exceptionalism and absolutely nothing else. The framing of Black History Month honours this misinformation because the continued advancement of this vision is essential to maintaining the international capitalist world order. Capitalism was built and is... uh, and is maintained uh, upon exploiting Africa. The moment Africans within the US wake up and realize this, capitalists recognize this even if we don't, that their days are numbered. This is the reason even racist right-wing sources like the Anti-Immigrant Progressives for Immigration Reform, PFIR, enthusiastically and financially support efforts to turn Africans within the US against Africans born outside of the US. This is also the reason there are over 50 million Africans within the US, yet overwhelming communities of these Africans can tell you absolutely nothing comprehensive about Africa beyond the racist stereotypes that pass as objective history. Whatever problems Africans uh, experience in the Western Hemisphere, these problems uh, didn't originate there. The seeds for the problems we face in 2021 and beyond were planted when our ancestors were captured in Africa. Any serious effort to reclaim our history must start by respecting that reality. Next one is the erasure of non-cis male African uh, revolutionaries. I'm not going to like comment heavily on this afterwards. I want to read this all because I find this very fascinating and important in some ways, just in terms of the conversation. Um, so yeah, this will be obviously a very long segment, and I won't have I won't give much commentary past that. But I just want to read the rest of uh, the remainder of this fully because, um, like I said, I feel like this is important uh, to talk about. <laughs> So continuing on, the erasure of non-cis male African revolutionaries. We see the Black History Month erasure of figures like Asata Shakur, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, Marsha P. Johnson, Ella Baker, Claudia Jones, Queen Nanny, Winnie, Maddie uh, Maddie Kizela, Mandela, uh, Amy Jacques Garvey, BBTT Mohammed, Chief Fun Mileo, uh, Ransom Kuti, uh, King Danieri Basamula Ekere, Mwanga, to... I think that's second, or ill, the second <laughs> castle, damn, I'm, I'm rinsing these, and uh, Queen uh, Nzinga Mbande, uh, and so many more, we see the connection to the erasure of non-cishet revolutionaries today. Black History Month has become a colonial co-opted operation, therefore it cannot and will not be a safe space for queer, poor and working class revolutionaries. We want to be clear this is not an attack on African, on the African masses, we are a good people, and only and our only problem is that we are colonized. We know we've been brainwashed to accept and promote all forms of division to keep the African nation divided so that the white supremacy can, t- can continue conquering us undisturbed. So we criticize the white power structure that controls us like puppets and not people. What this inclu- exclusion does, uh, does is keep us all from getting free. Only though, Only through unity can we ever be free, our people. Erasure and slander towards trans revolutionaries, women identifying revolutionaries and queer revolutionaries will not succeed. They're co-opting a mutilation of Black History Month, turning it into a celebration of Africans who've sold us out will not succeed. Their attacks on poor and working class African leadership will not succeed. The agenda uh, the agenda to sabotage African liberation theories like feminism, pan-Africanism, intersectionality and socialism will not succeed. Uh, And the last one, well, there's also a conclusion, but yeah, it's the last uh, subheading, the promotion of neo-colonial propaganda. Uh, Despite many lies told about poor, hapless Africa's uh, unending dependency upon the charity of the Western world, 
The reality of the situation is that the entirety of the global economic system of capitalism rests on a foundation of stolen African land, labour and resources. Africa has been trapped in a parasitic relationship with the West uh, that is reinforced by structures of massive violence against the continent and its children for centuries, allying with a menagerie of traitorous neocolonial leaders in order to steal African wealth and lives. But here in the... (laughs) Uh, they said snakes instead of states. I see what they did there. But here in the snakes, uh, the most visible boosters of richness of the richness uh, of African history and culture tend to ignore this reality in favour of a singular focus on on a particular kind of narrative and aesthetic rooted in a celebration of an apolitical spirituality, material wealth, and royal status. A recent example of this was a cinematic cel- celebration of a fantasy African nation untouched by colonialism, Wakanda, as depicted in Disney, uh, Marvel, and U.S. Department of Defense's film, Black Panther. Uh, there is a link to U.S. Department of Defense, and I really want to click it, uh, but I won't for the moment. <laughs> uh, Black Panther was a wild cultural success, popular in the mainstream, but also particularly loved by Africans living in the U.S. It was a rare celebration of dignified, undominated African people, agents of their own history and living self-determined. It was an emotional sight in the media for our people living in the belly. But it was also it was also a brightly coloured, big-budget, heroic rebrand of some of the worst ongoing perpetrators of crimes against Africa. The reason why works like Black Panther, Beyonce's Black is King, Eddie Murphy's Coming to America, or any number of cultural pr- productions that engage African fantasy but never in reality are able to get away with spreading capitalist imperialist propaganda in an Afrocentric vehicle uh, is because our people living in, in the US simply do not know enough about Africa's present reality to recognise the harm that's being done. We are, after all, the same people who voted en masse for the first African US president, Barack Obama, only to sit in unconditional love and silence as his administration quickly expanded Africa. The consequence of our action and then inaction has been a US-led dominance of Africa's lands uh, and peoples by foreign militaries and mercenaries. We have to learn and fight, we have to learn and fight to defend Africa from evil, from the evil we pay our taxes to. We must reject any kind of Afrocentrism that does not engage with Africa's modern day struggle to be free from exploitation. It is not, not enough to take on the look and feel of Africa in order to claim African identity and culture while hyperfixating on our lives here in the States. We must learn about real Africa, about the destruction and devastation that capitalism and imperialism are spreading in, on the continent, and about how we can organise as one people around the world to stop it. Conclusion. As Jamil uh, Alamine uh, warned us in 1969, quote, white folks will co-op dog shit if it's to their advantage, unquote. Who's communist rejects any framework in which anyone gets to dictate the terms or themes of a month geared toward African people? Uh, That is not from the African masses themselves. We reject a month that suppresses the memory of non-cis male African revolutionaries. We reject a month that embraces American exceptionalism and functions to separate the struggle of Africans living in America from that of Africans around the world. We reject a month that deprioritizes the history of radical African organizations and movement building in exchange for Hollywood zero narratives. We reject a month that allows America to make the history of Africa its own. The month we encourage all Africans to center uh, all Africans to center Africa in your politics and organizing. Join an organization fighting for the liberation of Africa and her people. Let's move forward and celebrate African Liberation Month in total unity, love and appreciation of all Africans. 
who have chosen the side of the people against uh, white colonial capitalism. For to freedom, we march together. And that's the, that's the entirety of it. And that took up a, a long time, a lot of <laughs> a lot of the show. But um, you know, I feel like there's sometimes where you just feel that I feel the need to read the entire thing, and um, you know, just just um, just push forward, just push forward the you know conversation being being made here, um, push forward the points being made here because I do find this entire thing very fascinating and the concept of Black History Month very fascinating. And I feel like if 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 most people being honest with themselves, they can see a lot of these things, right? But I feel, and I'm, I'll just say it for me personally, I see a lot of this stuff, and you just can't help but just stomach it and move on, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on it, and that's kind of just the main point I want I wanted to leave uh, uh, leave uh, for myself. That you know, I do understand a lot of what's being what was said there, um, and a lot of it, well, all of it in some way is factual, um, and it's just a matter of like trying to think about how large this, uh, uh, and how deeply rooted you know this bullshit goes, you know what I mean, and uh, and trying to rid of it. You know I mean, just trying to think of the. Um, the task at hand is like very, very daunting, and I feel like that's why most people stump like like me, stomach it. Um, you know, I try to do my bit on one side to try and like you know big up certain people, um, that you know haven't been bigged up, but yeah, man, is it's exhausting. Um, seeing you know two Black History Months, you know, see the US one and I'll see the UK one, be just co-opted constantly and just, you know, just rinsed and polished. You know what I mean? It's just, it's ugly. Um, so, yeah, I'll leave it at that. But um, I would like to, I would like to know if you, if you are black and, and are listening to the show, I'd love to know your thoughts on that entire article and uh, how you feel about Black History Month, uh, you know, whether in the UK or US or, you know, anywhere else um, that celebrates a Black History Month, um, I'd like to just know how you feel about it on a whole, now that you've uh, heard the entirety of that article. So we move on to our second uh, film and TV topic uh, segment, and uh, this is all about uh, film and TV uh, production in the UK. Uh, we found we've got some new statistics on it, um, and uh, you know, you know, I love me some statistics. I love me some data um, to to just get my teeth into and uh, you know commentate on afterwards. Um, so this is uh, via Mark Sweeney from the Guardians uh, called Money Spent on Film and TV Production in the UK Down 21% in 2020. So let's jump right in. The amount, of, uh, the amount spent in the UK on making Hollywood films such as Batman and prestige dramas including Netflix's The Witcher slumped by more than 700 million to 2.8 billion last year as the pandemic took its toll on the film and TV production industry. 
The amount spent on film production in the UK, mostly on Hollywood blockbusters, including Mission Possible 7 and the third installment of Fantastic Beast franchise, which halted filming on Thursday due, uh, due to a COVID case on set, fell by 31% year-on-year to nearly $1.4 billion. The figures also underline the rise in high-end TV shows costing at least £1 million uh, an episode, um, with the amount spent overtaking that invested in film uh, in filmmaking uh, in the UK for the first time. The streaming wars have been led by Netflix and Amazon. Uh, lately, I've had a conversation in like a group chat. Um, well, a conversation has been going on in the group chat. I mean, talking about how many like you know streaming services there are, and just like I've got this and this and this, but I'm dumb. But you know, it's it's exhausting to think uh, think about. Uh, yeah, I'll start again. I'll start a paragraph again. The streaming wars have been led by Netflix and Amazon, but the shift in viewing habits has also encouraged the BBC, Sky, and ITV to invest more in big budget shows. The move has fueled a boom in UK made shows from Netflix's The Crown and Sky's Britannia to the BBC's War of the Worlds and Amazon's Outlander. Last year, despite the disruption of the pandemic, spending on prestige shows remained relatively resilient, declining by a more modest. Uh, 11% to £1.5 billion. Uh, 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 the first time it has outstripped film spend since the government introduced tax relief on high-end TV shows to encourage more to be made in the UK in 2013. However, total spend on film and high-end TV production in the UK fell by 21% year-on-year to £2.84 billion, pounds, the worst level since 2016, according to the British Film Institute, which publishes... <coughs> excuse me... <coughs> publishes the figures annually. The BFI's annual report also highlights the torrid time cinema owners uh, continue to experience as venues either remain closed for extended periods or are starved of blockbuster content in the brief period when they welcome back audiences. Cinema admissions fell by 75% last year to 44 million, down from 176 million in 2019, the lowest level since records began in 1928. Similarly, the box office uh, take in the UK and Ireland totaled 307 million last year, an 81% year-on-year drop. Fuck, uh, the lowest level since 1992. Uh, the top-grossing film last year was World War One drama 1917, which came out in pre-pandemic and made 44 million. Quote: It has been a challenging year for cinema, but we remain optimistic for the day when when we can welcome back audiences, says Ben Roberts. Uh, the chief executive of the BFI. The BFI preferred to focus on huge on the huge return of spend as the year drew to a close, thanks to initiatives such as the government-backed insurance scheme to protect uh, against COVID shutdowns and facilities being repurposed with virus transmission safety measures in place. Almost £1.2 billion was spent on film and TV production in the final f- three months of last year, the second highest ever quarterly spend on record, as broadcasters, Hollywood studios and streamers rushed to get the pipeline flowing to plug the pandem- pandemic gap in fresh content viewers were facing. Quote, last spring it was hard to imagine uh, that we would be generating £1 billion worth of production activity in the final quarter, said Roberts. This has been achieved by industry and government uh, pulling together and the determination of our workforce to get back up and running. Last month, Netflix, which spends more than $1 billion, $730 million pounds, annually on UK-made content, announced it, uh, it is to release 70 films this year, promising uh, one new release each week, its biggest ever slate. And Sky, which is owned by NBC Universal parent Comcast, 
has announced a 125 film and TV slate for this year. In December, relative streaming newcomer Disney announced a doubling of content spend to $15 billion by 2024 as it aims to attract as many as 260 million subscribers to its Disney Plus streaming service. Uh, quote, production recovery in the UK is well underway and demand for content is not only still there, but in fact greater than before, greater than ever before, said Adrian Wooten, uh, chief exec of the BFI Com- uh, British Film Commission, uh, uh, the industry body supporting UK film and TV production. Right, okay, so that's a lot, that's a lot of, um, you know, stats thrown, uh, thrown, thrown in the face. I, I, I have a... Um, I, I have a uh, and I, I, maybe this is just me because I don't like even the shows they mentioned up top you know what I mean I've heard of The Crown um, you know the Outlander never heard of it um, you know it's, uh, those those, sh- those shows I mentioned I've, I've never and again this is just me so you know <clears throat> one person but um, I've never had the interest in like watching the biggest budget anything, the biggest budget drama, right? Especially TV dramas, right? I feel, I feel like I, I, I've never been that intrigued by these big budget TV uh, dramas. And this is a guy, this has come from a guy that, you know, really wants to get down to come back, right? So, you know, that was, that was a, f- a fucking big budget. So, you know, I'm, I'm being a little bit hypocritical, but um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't feel like I don't feel like the 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 return here is enough. Um and I feel like uh, and you know, if it, if it's me being paid to make these things then fuck yeah, I'm going to make them, right? No 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 skin off my nose. Um but I'm wondering just like for these, you know, for like Sky and you know, BBC and all that kind of stuff uh and all these streamers, like, I feel like they're putting out a lot of content. Um and I don't know I don't know whether two things. I don't know whether the quality <coughs> quality is dipping because um, I definitely think there's a question of that. Like, if you're just gonna put out these things and like, you know, just a fucking conveyor belt, uh, I love Lucy conveyor belt pace. Um, <coughs> if you know, you know. Um, I don't think that quality is gonna be there. You know, what I mean, for, from project to project, I feel like the the mead, the average is just gonna the average quality of stuff is just going to plummet. Um, but then again, uh, maybe it just takes one for all of it to be uh, justified. Maybe, maybe that's how they see that's Maybe that's how they see it from a business perspective. I don't know. I'm not in their business. Um, and another thing is like, I don't know how many people have more than one uh, streaming service, right? I have Sky. I have Netflix. My sister has Amazon prime. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm I use Sky mostly. I haven't used Netflix in a minute, and again, just me. This is just me. I'm just wondering how voraciously people are consuming TV these days. You know, like when 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 the most popular show in the US is still The Office. Like I I don't know whether it's worth it, but um, but hey, man, you know, just to combat these numbers. I feel like it, there is a um, a positive in there, obviously. Um, it gives money to you know creators to create their th- create their stuff, and I'm all for that. 
Uh, I'm not here making an argument saying like you know everyone should pe- peg it back a bit and you know focus on more quality content. Like mate, mate, get your shit out. Pay these people, man. Pay these creatives. You know what I mean? So uh, I'm all for that. But I'm just wondering from a quality perspective, like, ha- is it is it going to dip now? Um, now that there's so many services and channels and entities that are just like you know fighting for supremacy. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's like going to be another TV golden age, but maybe it can also be maybe a cesspool of just like just TV, <laughs> just just TV like thrown in your face. Here's a show. Ah, here's a film. Ah. Um. So yeah, and maybe it's both. Maybe maybe it will be like a new golden age of TV, but also a cesspool of TV. Maybe maybe it can be both. That'll probably be the uh, the bet I'll go for. That'll probably be both. Okay, so we finish up with <coughs> our uh, last uh, life topic, second life topic, last segment of the episode. And yeah, we got some Tory bullshit. We got some Tory bullshit on wax. Love it, love it, love it, love it. So, um, shout out to uh, the Byline Times and the Citizens. Done some amazing journalism here. Uh, it's called The Crony Ratio 800 million pounds in COVID contracts to donors who have given 8 million to conservatives. And yeah, man, just go type up, go, go search up cronyism come back to this and you'll completely understand where we're coming from because this is some bullshit let's get into it without further ado just jump right in because obviously um this will this episode will probably uh i don't know maybe maybe it will cross an hour 10 i try not to go past an hour 10 but maybe it will who knows it's worth it um I'm not going to go through every example because they have uh, specific examples of people. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll give a couple. Um, so yeah, let's just get into it. Uh, government contracts worth 881 bil- uh, bil- billion. <sighs> fucking imagine that. A million pounds have been awarded to individuals who have donated a total of 8.2 million pounds to the Conservative Party in re- recent years. By like times and the citizens can reveal. <clears throat> These contracts span across the various projects undertaken by the government during the coronavirus pandemic, from the procurement of PPE to the provision of laptops to school children forced to study from home. There is no evidence that the government awarded these contracts in direct exchange for the donations, no monthly meeting where ministers assign departmental work to the highest bidder. Rather, the Conservative Party has promoted the idea of outsourcing public services to private companies in recent decades, an ideology that has been ruthlessly applied during the COVID-19 crisis. Private companies, therefore, see a commercial benefit supplemented by the Conservative low-tax mantra to help the party win power the donations roll in, the party gets elected, and the public and public sector contracts in turn roll out to the market. This isn't a question of wrongdoing on the part of companies. They are simply acting in their commercial interest. The question is about a system that positively, positively encourages large contributions to political parties from private individuals and firms, yet does not prevent these very same companies from acquiring, if only by coincidence, high-value government work. This process... Uh, has of course been put on steroids during the coronavirus pandemic when government contracts worth some 18 billion pounds have been outsourced to the private sector in less than 12 months. 
And here are some individuals and firms that have benefited. So again, um, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Uh, yeah, eight names. Uh, I'm actually, actually, you know what? I'm going to say all the names, and uh, you guys can look them up if you want to. Um, so, uh, uh, Wal Kalade, um, uh, Scott, uh, and I'll, I'll give I'll give more details here. So, uh, Living Bridge uh, donations, uh, he gave uh, six hundred seventy-eight thousand and five million, five point nine million uh, in contracts. Uh, Scott Fletcher, ANS Group donations of two hundred forty thousand contracts, two point five mil. Uh, David Meller of Meller Designs donations sixty thousand contracts one hundred sixty three point five mil. Uh, Michael Ashcroft of Medax Healthcare donations five point nine mil contracts three hundred fifty mil. David uh, Steve Parkin Clipper Logistics donations seven hundred twenty five thousand contracts one point three mil. Uh, Harold uh, uh, Augustin Augustin. Agustson, fucking hell, A-G-U-S-T-S-S-O-N, Globus, Shetland, and Alpha Solway, Solway, donations, 375,000, contracts, 157.8 mil, uh, Philip Holm, uh, Computer Centre, 110,000 uh, donations, contracts, 198 mil, uh, so Peter Rigby, Specialist Computer Centres, donations, 105,000, contracts, 2.1 mil, Huh? Huh? Y- y- you serious? This is what we're doing, yeah. This is what do- this is what we're doing. Um, so let me let me jump into a couple of these just for the just for the fuck of it. Um, but 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 what's what's the fat one? What's the really fat one? Oh yeah, Michael Ashcroft. Let's do this one. So the government recently announced that a firm called Medax Healthcare been awarded a three hundred fifty million contract uh, pound contract to provide laboratory staff to UK's. To the UK's testing operation. Medex, a global healthcare recruiting agency, is owned by Impelum Group, in turn owned by billionaire former Conservative Party Deputy Chairman Michael Ashcroft. Since 2001, Ashcroft has donated 5.9 mil to the Conservative Party. He sat as a Conservative peer in the House of Lords from 2000 to 2015, when he resigned largely due to controversy over his non-domiciled tax status. Ashcroft's spokesman told The Guardian, uh, that he was not involved in negotiations of Medax Healthcare's contract with the DHSC, uh, I think that's the Department of Health and Social Care, uh, and did not know about it until after it had been awarded. Yeah, sure. Impellent said that the company, quote, has not benefited from any connections that any non-executive uh, may hold, unquote. Indeed, Ashcroft currently acts as chairman of the company. Quote, the non-executive directors do not have any involvement in the award of contracts uh, or, or the operational day-to-day management of the company, the firm added. I'm sure. I'm I'm, I'm really sure. Yeah, that that that's, that's that sounds on the up and up to me. To you, to, to, does it sound up the up and up to you guys? I think it sounds on the up and up. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that sounds fine. Let's do a David Meller. This one's fun. This one's interesting. Um, beginning on sixth of May, uh, Meller Designs was awarded a series of DHSC contracts for the supply of PPE a firm that typically specialises in supplying home and beauty products to high street retailers including Marks & Spencer's. Uh, Mella Design has, be, uh, has to date been awarded contracts for the supply of masks and hand sanitizer worth at least 163.5 mil. Uh, none of the contracts released so far have gone through normal competition procedures. 
Mellor Designs is owned by David Mellor, who has donated nearly 60k to conservative, politi- to conservative politicians and the Central Party since 2009, and has been an active member of Tory politics. Indeed, Mellor was the finance chair of Michael Gove's 2016 Conservative Party leadership campaign and donated £3,250 to the cause. Records show that on April 6th, Health Minister Lord James Bethel and Lord Andrew Feldman uh, held a meeting with Van Designs, quote, to discuss COVID-19 testing, unquote. Uh, currently assisting the government's private sector procurement process, according to reports, Feldman was previously chairman of the Conservative Party from 2010 to 2016. Coincidentally or not, a large proportion of Mellor's Conservative donations were concentrated in years that Feldman sat as chairman and fundraising star of the party. He has only donated £14,300 since 2016. It is not known whether the supply of PPE was discussed during the meeting on April 6th, uh, with neither the DHSC or nor Mellon Designs responding to Byline Times and Screstle comment. In a previous statement to the Times, the Mellon Designs spokesperson said, quote, We are extremely proud of the role we played at the height of the crisis and managed to secure more than 150 million items worth of PPE. Yeah, okay. All right. uh, let's get to this um, uh, just conclusion that they have basically at the end of this. Um, Shadow Cabinet of, uh, Office Minister Rachel Reeves told Byline Times that, uh, quote, the lack, in, the lack of transparency around the government's contracting process has badly damaged public trust in procurement and contracts going to conservative friends and donors uh, do little to restore that. This government must clean up its contracting now, allowing more scrutiny to be to put to bed uh, growing concerns of cronyism, she added, <laughs> unquote. Uh, the distribu- uh, distribution of contracts to allies and the, uh, of the conservative party Excuse me. Um, have has been a subject of concern and controversy among official bodies and the public at large during the COVID nineteen pandemic. In November, responding to the public pressure, uh, the National Audit Office, the NAO, uh, produ- uh, produced a report analysing the government's procurement process. The final evidence was not flattering. Explained how officials regularly fail to log basic conflicts of interest, despite the significantly increased likelihood of a company winning a contract if a new minister or an MP. And it's not as though the government, in cahoots with private sector partners, managed to cultivate a well-beaten response to the pandemic, as Boris Johnson promised. Uh, Two subsequent NAO reports explained in graphic detail how frontline health workers were forced to procure their own PPE due to government delays, while the nation's testing uh, testing and contract tracing operation virtually imploded amid surging case numbers. Remember that, guys? That was a fun time, wasn't it? That was absolutely outstanding. Outstanding uh, level of just uh, incompetence. That was a, that was an amazing few months. In total, it is estimated that the government has spent at least eighteen billion pounds on private sector contracts during the pandemic, meaning that roughly five five percent of total expenditure has been awarded to firms that have donated to the Conservative Party either directly or through their owners. Uh, some MPs are therefore now taking up the baton of reform. Last week, a crony bill was introduced to the House of Commons by SNP, uh, uh, SM, SNP MP, <laughs> Scottish National Party, uh, Owen Thompson. If uh, passed, the legislation would ensure that MPs can interrogate ministers about any personal, political or financial connections uh, they may have to a company that is awarded a government contract. Garnering support across opposition parties, the bill passed its first hurdle in the Commons and will now be the subject of a formal debate and vote. However, its success will rely on persuading the Conservative Party that both reality and the perception of cronyism poses a threat to public trust in the government. This seems unlikely, given that that various departments have repeated uh, 
insistently repeated, uh, repeated insistently, sorry, that proper due diligence was carried out before each and every contract awarded. As throughout history, Wilford delusion appears to stand in the way of reform. Outstanding. Uh, so that's the majority of the article. Uh, go read for the rest if you want to peep the what uh, people were saying about it. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm just I'm smiling. I'm I'm smiling with how fucking silly this is. Like it's absolutely silly how and, and you know I'm not I'm not saying how like uh, e uh, uh, I'm not saying it's easy in terms of like how. Um, uh, I'm sure it was hard for like you know the Byland Times and citizens to get this information and collate it all and you know uh, produce a good piece on it. Um, but Jesus Christ, it's five percent, five percent. It's it's silly. It, it it's just absolutely fucking stupid. And the re- kind of the reason why I'm uh, I'm smiling is because I kind of know in my cynical mind to laugh instead of uh, to laugh instead of crying. That this ain't gonna do fuck. This ain't gonna do fuck. Fuck all. And when I mean that, I mean in terms of the next general election. I just, I just don't have any, any um, uh, faith in the public to vote out these fuckers. I just don't. I just don't. What, what was the latest polls? Let me go. Let me, let me quickly. Let me just do a quick Google's of um, latest. Um, UK, UK, uh, UK government polls. Let me, let me, let me uh, quickly just, uh, let me just quickly see if I can get one uh, as I talk here, um, because this this will be the last thing that um, you know, I'll I'll do for the uh, I'll do for the episode, because because if I if I find like a, a very recent one, and I guarantee you the Tories will be uh, are leading. I, I I fucking guarantee you. I guarantee you. Uh, here we go. February 8th, 2021, voting intention. <coughs> Ready? <laughs> the latest YouGov Times voting intention figures see the Conservatives gain a four-point lead at 41%, with Labour dropping four points to 37%. Elsewhere, the Democrat, Liberal Democrats are on 6%, the Greens on 6% plus 2, and Reform UK have, uh, uh, have 3%, no change. Of the vote. Everything that's gone on in the past 12 months. And the Conservatives have. A wide margin. In in polling. And, and voting intention. And I, you know. I don't want to say that the polling says it all. I don't want to be that guy. Because the polling does not say it, say it all. It was a YouGov and the Times poll. So you know. The Times. Mm, okay yeah sure. You know. Eh. Not exactly, uh, not exactly a, a, a centrist uh, kind of a paper there, um, but you know, I just can't help but be cynical and smile instead of crying because um, I just, I'm, I'm just fully convinced that uh, this will do absolutely nothing um, in terms of getting these Tories out of this out of office after a decade of literally fucking our country up where it don't shine. And Scotland's leaving. I recently saw a report, and I could have put this in a week where where uh, uh, the Welsh, are, uh, the, the Welsh independence is gaining traction. Fucking hell! Imagine that. Imagine if Wales and Scotland go independent in the in in the Conservatives' rule under Conservative rule. That is worse than the exit. I think that is the biggest 
indictment to how bad this conservative government has been in the past decade. And I, I, I can't wait for it. I really hope it happens. Just, just so history can see how fucking terrible these, pe- the, these people are. This government has been. And how you guys as public have continued to vote for them. In the many, 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 many times we have been given chances to kick them out. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth Film Podcast Network, I have been Charlie Taylor, and it's been what's good. Intro music has been too much by Vanilla. Thanks to your prekers for the ability to use that song. You can find both of their uh, Bandcamp links in the description. Thanks to Nappy High for the interlude music, Charismatic. You can find his website uh, in the full show notes as well. And when that said, hope you all have a good week. And I shall always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.